Hello and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm your host, Scott Brady, and I'm here with my co-host, Matt Scott. And today we're going to talk about my favorite thing. We're going to talk about you. Me. I love talking about me. This is going to be the easiest podcast ever or not, which I think is really fun because we've done now 20 podcasts and we're so grateful for the response to the podcast. We're so thankful for all of you that are love the feedback. We get a lot of feedback on social and uh, really appreciate it. Yeah. If you ever have questions or suggestions or if you need uh, for me to do something a little different or for Matt to do something a little different, we are very new to all this. We have a passion for the subject, but we are not professional podcasters. So any any suggestions that you have, we'd, we'd love to to hear more. And thank you all for subscribing and for listening. And that leads us to why we're going to talk about the subject today is learning more about who Matt is and his background and uh, asking him some questions that I think will shed some light on why he is the co-host on this podcast and his history. So Matt, thanks for taking some time today to be the one being interviewed. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. I love talking about myself, you know? So, so I, I learned a little bit more about you even today. I mean, we have known each other for over a decade, which yeah. is so, which is so fun. And I learned uh, today that you went to school for international politics and for um, even some cybersecurity and Uh, international relations. Yeah, the the goal was to end up, you know, foreign intelligence, some kind of three-letter agency. And then I found out they paid like 35 grand a year and (laughs) uh, that I could write about cars and have fun and, you know, live the life I really wanted to live and make the same amount of money. Not that it's all about money, but my life is definitely all about the things that I'm really passionate about. And, you know, since I've been five years old, that has been cars. I, I, I don't I don't know anything else but cars. Well, um, and and tell us a little bit about that. Um, I can see this picture in my mind of a of a, a five-year-old uh, very ginger kid i'm not ginger <laughs> i'm not ginger <laughs> now you were you were in a fully suspended race car at five years old yeah I mean, yeah i tell think us that I, the, the first time i drove a race car that was my actual race car um i was i was technically four it was the day before my fifth birthday because at five you became um eligible to race quarter midgets um and I, I grew up in the Midwest, even though I'm a, an avid West coaster now, um, you know, I'm a corn fed Midwesterner that used to race, you know, circle track and dirt track. And, uh, it, it's interesting. I mean, I think when you're five years old and you're kind of groomed to be a racing driver, which, you know, until I was 15, 16, that's, that's, that was my, that was my life in the same way that, you know, you know, football dads or hockey dads sure. or whatever, you know, my dad, Jim Scott, um, you know, we raced every weekend together and I mean that I, I love that. Like, yeah. you know, one of the things that drives me to be successful now is I want to go back racing with my dad. Yeah. You know, sure. we, so, so basically from five to being an adult, um, you know, I raced everything, started in quarter midgets and kind of, kind of everything, bunch of road course, bunch of, uh, you know, a lot of circle track stuff and, yeah, it, it, I guess it just changes things, you know, at a young age when you are having to communicate at five years old, you know, to, to your crew chief, my dad, that, um, <laughs> awesome. you know, the, the car is a little bit loose going into turn three. It's not a thing that I guess 
most five-year-olds are thinking. So it's yeah. never, it, it's never shut off. And I think that's why I got into reviewing cars and I've had, you know, a modest success with that and, and the writing thing, because it to a degree has come second nature for me. I'm one of those weird guys that can feel the, the, you know, there's a little bit too much preload on the right rear shock or something like that. You sure. Know? I don't know. I'm, I'm just a car guy. And I love it. Well, and that's an, it leads to a couple questions on the driving side, because one thing that I've noticed is once people shift from driving recreationally to semi-professionally or professionally, or even um, in a very advanced amateur way where they're getting a lot lot of training, so much shifts for them. What, what are some of your key takeaways that you've had as a driver that have then influenced who you are as a traveler and then even as a businessman smooth is fast. Yeah. That's the one thing that always, that is just drilled into my head. You know, my, my uncle is a, is a racing instructor. He's been a racing instructor. Um, used to be with Skip Barber from the eighties and now he works with BMW and kind of everybody, but he always drilled that into my head. And that's something that I've, that stuck with me through travel. You know, for me, smooth travel is just proper preparation. You know, it's figuring out, figuring out what you're doing and in business too, just keeping a, keeping a cool head. I remember it, that what you just said brought me back to within the first couple of months of you starting to work with us, uh, you had a Jeep Wrangler. Oh God, and, it was horrible. Yeah. And we were, we were up, we were up in the mountains outside of Prescott and we were working through a pretty technical trail in the snow. Yeah. And, and I remember I had given you a couple pieces of advice and and you just like, I saw all the the bulbs come on and you're like, it's just like racing. I need to be smooth in order to get through this terrain. Yeah. You know, I, I guess race car, four wheel drive vehicle, whatever, any, anything with four wheels, two wheels that has a motor. It's, it's all about just inputs, right? Sure. So if you're smooth with your inputs off road, you're not going to break traction. Exactly. Um, if you're smooth off road, you know, the, the second best thing that always sticks in the automotive is something you taught me that off-roading is like a chess game. Right. And I think by being smooth through that chess game, that's, that's how you win. Sure. And um, you're thinking a couple moves ahead, right? Yeah. If you're focused on the trail immediately in front of you, you're going to miss setting yourself up for exactly. a bigger I, I was obstacle. always taught, you know, if I'm going into turn three, I'm looking through turn four. You're, you're looking not at where you're you know, you look where you want to go. You're not looking at where you're going. Sure. And I think the same thing applies for off-road. So I think on the car front, then if you could have any car, not a four-wheel drive Mm. right now, what would you, what would you buy? Anything? Anything. Probably a 911. Nice. What Um, year? I really like the 997s. It's before they got too big. It's it's after the reliability and quality issues of the 996 and the ugly headlights. They're good value. They're still a kind of emotional vehicle. You know, you still feel the, still feel the engine rumble just a little bit. And could that be a track car for you? Would that be the thing that gets you back into racing with your dad? You know, if, if I was to get back into racing, it'd have to be in a race car, you know, I mean, it it would be like trying to take your, you know, your Tacoma that you've built for overlanding and, and do the 1000 in it. Right. There's just, there's so many differences. And honestly, taking a street car to the track as a primary thing, I've never understood that. I mean, I race formula cars, so I could buy a $20,000 used formula Mazda or formula Mazda or um, formula enterprise is a series that I, that I follow. Um, and, and I can turn 
Lamborghini Super Trofeo lap times and a $20,000 car. That's well, that's very in, reasonable that's in, to service. That, and that's an, that's an open wheel car. That's an open wheel car. Yeah. So that's interesting. So, and I hadn't considered that because for me, I think the thing that's, that's maybe uh, romantic is the idea of, of getting a Lotus or getting a, a Porsche or getting uh, some kind of a, of a car grand touring car or something that could even be on a track and then taking it on. And I think maybe it's just romantic. Maybe it's not actually the best yeah. choice. And and that, I think that that translates to the overlanding concept as well, is that there are things that are actually really, really good for travel and it may not be the same vehicle that we want, we want to build or that we want to drive as a traveler. Yeah. I mean, as a traveler, the answer is sprinter. Yeah. Right. But I don't want to, I don't want to drive a delivery van. Like, yeah. like I, I don't think anybody wakes up and says, Oh wow. I really want to de- drive the same thing that the FedEx guy drives. Yeah. Like no disrespect to the FedEx guy, but I'm sure if he could drive a Jeep Wrangler for his job, yeah, he would probably drive a Jeep Wrangler over a delivery van. Sure. You know, but it's very practical, you know? Yeah. It clicks all the boxes where you can live out of it and it's secure. And yeah, I mean, I'm a car guy again. So there's, I'm, I'm not the most practical. I I like to have very purpose built vehicles. Like my gladiator, I think is a good example of that. It's, it can kind of go anywhere, but it's also stockish, but, but I stockish. Okay. (laughs) I I take that back. (laughs) Right. It drives very well. It drives. Well, you, you were very intentional about it. In fact, I, I would say that your, your gladiator of all of the 867 cars that you've purchased since I've met you. Yeah is the, was the one that surprised me the most because it's the one that is the most practical. I've owned it for almost a year now and uh, I have zero intentions of selling it. It just, it works. It, it does everything so well. So it's your version of the sprinter. It's the it's thing. It's my that, version of the sprinter. It, it has that AT summit camper on the back. It's comfortable. It's quiet to camp in. It drives great. You know, a little bit of wind noise. Cause I mean, it is a Jeep, but I, I just remember you had, you had that Wrangler and then you bought a one Oh nine Land Rover. I traded that Wrangler for that one Oh nine, which was a hell of a deal. And I think that that Wrangler was like a salvage title rusted to junk. Yeah. I, I, I want to say that I traded a crotch rocket for it that had been dropped like 12 times when I was pretty young. Right. It was bad. <laughs> I, I remember the like, you know, track bar angles were like, it was really degrees. bad. Yeah, it was really like, bad. But so you, I remember you got into that series three. Was it a series? It was three a series two A. And 2A. and for me, that is where it all clicked. That was the transition from from Midwest Matt to West Coast Matt. You know, the the Jeep was a car I had in Illinois. We drove through cornfields. I I moved out here knowing very little about travel. Um, you know, I had always traveled racing. You know every weekend we were driving to Indianapolis or wherever was in, was in our region, but moving out here was just a, was a big change for me. Like I still, I still remember that, that I call my chess moment that I realized like, I don't have to fly through everything that it was just like, it was just like racing. And, and I've, and I've carried that with me. And, um, the Land Rover taught me, it taught me that things were about passion. And I, and I had actually had, had, had a Land Rover before this. I, I, my, my first car was a Land Rover discovery. Um, I guess when you have a, kid that grew up around race cars, the last thing that you really want is a, like you want a, a fast Jeep. Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. know? Why would yeah. I want to drive something slow on a road with other people? And I still kind of feel that way, but 
Yeah, that, that was a big transition for me. It, it made me realize that I, I loved travel, but I also loved the how the vehicle could play a part of that. Like that the vehicle can be a traveler in its own. The vehicle sure. can have a personality. Um, and that did. I, I remember hearing you laugh and seeing you smile more with that car than anything else, because yeah. it was like, it was like the circus bear on the, on the tricycle. I mean, it was like, literally it was so fun because it was spinning. It was, you were constantly having to, you were working it. That's yeah. where I learned how to drive was yeah. that car, you know, um, it was so analog. And do you miss that with your, I mean, you have such capable vehicles now. Do you miss that like, yeah, haphazardness totally. of I, the I, series? I think if I was to get another car, I'd get, I'd get a flat fender. You know, my, my buddy, my buddy, Brad in Australia has a a Ford GPW that we've taken up Cape York, um, taken Fraser Island, kind of taken all over and you want to see me smile. And it's, it's in something with brakes. that doesn't work a gearbox. that doesn't want to go in gear (laughs) and you know, uh, no power steering. Uh, I I think everybody should have those, should have those experiences. And I agree, um, you know, it, it teaches you, like I, I now know what horrible axles are. I didn't have the Salisbury in mind. So like I had to learn how to replace an axle. I had to learn how to, you know, replace things and be really gentle as a driver. Yeah. Um, learn how to be smooth yeah. in a different way. I do realize like even in my own history that some of the most fun that I've had was in the vehicles that were the least suited for oh, the yeah. activity. Cause then, cause then even a trip to Sedona, like we did that one day, was like an expedition because yeah. it was like you had no idea if you were going to make it, if you were going to get stuck, if something was just going to stop working. I mean, yep. yeah, it was fun. It, you know, I think you can definitely isolate yourself from adventure, right? And and I, if I was to critique myself, that's probably something that I do. I have a, you know, my personality. I I like to perfect things. I I find joy in building beautiful overland vehicles for myself. Something to the end degree, else. yeah, but. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I think it's, you know, now it's my travels that have influenced my vehicles more so than, you know, early it was the passion for the cars. And then I found out I could travel in them as I got older. Cause I'm still young. I mean, a lot of people probably think I'm older. I, I just turned 30, Yeah, you know? So I, when did I start working for Overland International? I, I, I still had an expeditions West business card that I found the other day. So, I mean, that was, that was when I was 20. I was, that was over 10, that was 10 years ago or something. It, it had to have been more than that because uh, we started the corporation Overland International in 2012. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, it's been, it's been a while, which is, yeah, it's, it's just been fun to watch, but and that, I mean, that was the launch pad for, for, I guess my career. I mean, um, you know, I started writing for expedition portal before I moved out here a little bit and, yep. You know, people always ask me, well, I'd love to learn how to write. And I always say, well, just do it. Cause I was not a writer, Mm -hmm. you know, when I first, when I first started, as you said, like I, I believed in ethics very strongly and I had a very technical knowledge and understanding of things, but you know, I didn't know how to use an apostrophe appropriately. Now I do. Um, It takes time. And I remember mentioning that to you is that the reason why I thought you would be a great fit is that you always told the truth and that you always had an opinion. And and for me, that, that, that ethics is so critical. I mean, the only time we've ever terminated an editor is because of an ethics violation. So yeah. it's, for me, it's, it's really, uh, that comes down to it or else the reader loses faith. It's all about the reader. You know, you're, yeah. you are, you are providing a service 
for that reader. You're not providing a service for yourself. The reader doesn't really care about, you know, the emotion, the, the, the contrived emotional backstory. Like they, they want to know the facts. They want to know the information and my style from that and mixing it into my thing became entertained and inform. And that's something that I've always tried to do. Writing about cars can be very technical and it can be very specific. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that it has to be boring. And I, I think for the, for the listener that is, I mean, during this time that we're in right now, which this is being recorded during a time that a lot of the country is still under a shelter in place order. And a lot of people are trying to start their own podcast or they're trying to start their own website or they're trying to write for an, an outlet like Overland Journal or Expedition Portal. A little bit of advice that comes along with this interview and in that I watched Matt execute very well when he started working with us is focus on the reader first, focus on telling a great story that is evergreen, that can last a long time, because those articles like that really provide a a strong return on investment to the publisher that you're working with. But if I was to give anyone that's listening advice is don't just pitch a publisher like, hey, I'd like to write for you. The best thing that you can do, because publishers and editors are extremely busy, the best thing that you can do is find a great story write the entire thing up, have all of the images ready to go in a Dropbox or on a Google Drive, have all of the images edited, have the article completely edited, then send the publisher or editor a note and say, I've been thinking about your magazine. I've, I have purchased several copies. I understand your writing style. I have provided a complete story for your consideration. Totally. And I can tell you that our editors... They pick up stories like that all the time. It's, <clears throat> I think the challenge is that if, if someone says, Hey, I'd like to write for you, that's going to, the editor knows that now this is a 20 step process yeah. to get to a final piece. Whereas if somebody says, I love your publication, I have purchased your publication. I'm a reader of your publication. I understand your style and your style guide, and I've delivered a product that you could put to print. Yep. I, you know, I think an, when you're submitting something to an, to an editor, it needs to be something that to the best of your ability is ready to run in that publication. Yeah. 1500 words does not mean that 2000 is better. Right. It means that he really wanted 1400. Right. You know? Um, yeah. And, and that was an interesting thing. I mean, I guess, you know, when I was running expedition portal, it was cool to work with all these travelers and, it, and it's interesting. Like some of the people that I, that I worked with, even at a young age, you know, I was kind of able to help improve their writing and, help improve and, and send them on the right direction. And now these people have turned into writers full time, you know, that that's how they're sustaining themselves traveling. Sure. And um, as the industry's grown, there's been more and more opportunity for people. And I'll think of all of the friends that we have that um, are writing for, for us or writing for other outlets. There's a lot of great magazines. And, and that leads me to the question, how, how did it feel uh, when you had your first article published by outside? It, you know, it, it was, it was pretty cool. Like I I've, I've followed outside for a really long time. You know, they, they really lead in kind of outdoor journalism. I agree. You know, and I was, I was really lucky. Um, I became really good friends with my editor, my current editor over there, Wes, Wes Seiler. And, you know, he's been another one of those kind of mentors in my life that was never afraid to tell me what I was doing wrong. He really helped refine my writing style. So, yeah. So, I mean, I, I guess going back to, 
the first time I was elated, you know, I sent it to everybody I know yeah. and, and it was so cool. Like here, here's my name on that master, but it was the same way. The first time I was published in Overland journal, the first time I was published on exhibition portal, like, um, you know, I was working for Land Rover at the time and I don't even know how that worked. So I was, I was working for Land Rover, decided to, I mean, I dropped out of school and, um, decided to make cars my life and my kind of performance driving background got me in the, got me in the door with doing some, some training with them and, uh, then moved to Panama. But I don't know. I, I, I still love getting published. Yeah. I, I, I think outside magazine was the first magazine that I ever subscribed to. And I remember the first time that my words ended up in print in outside. It was just, it felt to me like as nearly as exciting as the first time that I printed an Overland journal. And and I don't do a huge amount with them, but I, I think the stuff that I do is relatively significant. I mean, it is. Yeah. You're there you know, four wheel drive automotive journalists. So. Yeah. I mean, Wes is pretty competent too. You know, yeah, he, knows, sure. he knows his stuff, but yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. It's a, I don't know how much you guys know, but I, I also own a company called adventure imports, I'm not trying to plug that necessarily, but you know, that's, that's my day job now. Um, I I've kind of transitioned away from, you know, full-time editorial after I, I was running a magazine called um, unsealed four by four in Australia. And I, I lived down there and then move back to start this business. But now it's, it's a passion project for me. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's cool. I, I can take more time to do things. I, I can really, you know, put my best work out there. And I, and I love doing that. And I love doing this podcast too. Like it's, it's nice to, you know, over the time that I've been doing this and the countries I've been to and the places I've traveled, it's nice to be able to share that information, you know, and something that's really, you know, passionate that I'm passionate about is that overlanding is about travel. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I'm a huge car guy. I geek out on building these things, but for me, it's, it, it, it all comes back to the travel. Yeah. I feel, I feel like for myself too, that it's relatively balanced. I was probably more about the vehicle early on, but now I don't, I don't enjoy it any less. I still, I love turning wrenches myself. For me, it is my downtime is busting knuckles and getting dirty hands. So yeah. I, I like working on my own vehicle and I still do it. Yeah. Like with COVID I've been working on my land cruiser. Like I've been geeking out, rebuilding doors, you know, yep. uh, but trying to, trying to keep the parts, trying to keep things original, but okay, let's figure out how we rebuild a window motor. Let's figure out how we rebuild this door hinge. Let's figure out how we can make these things better. And, um, and then that way, when you drive it around the world, you know how that all goes together. You've actually, exactly. You've actually turned the wrenches on that car, which leads me to a few more questions, uh, primarily around your travels, but, uh, you grew up in Chicago and then you did move out West and then you ended up in Panama. Now tell a little bit of that story. Cause that's a great, yeah. One. So, um, I ran a hostel down there for a brief period called, um, I mean, it was called Panama passage. passage. That's right. But that was really, that was a huge fulcrum point or transition point for me as a person. Cause I, I want to say I was 20 or 20. It was right before I moved here. I was, I was running a hostel for, for international travelers. So like, yeah, I'm still friends with people that I met there. Um, I don't remember a lot of it. Sorry, Christian, but I was drunk for a lot of it. And, uh, you know, just, just being in this, this environment and learning how to ship vehicles. Cause I was doing it every single day, Sure, learning how to do the paperwork. I mean, that was one of the things is, is we would help travelers ship their vehicles. So yeah, Panama was cool to live right downtown. Um, that was really an experience that what a neat city. 
Really cool. Really, really cool. Most people have no idea how modern. I remember I was going downtown to meet with with the shipper because we were going to be shipping the vehicles from Panama after we went to the Darien Gap. And I, re- I remember going downtown and there's like Porsche Cayenne. Like, oh, yeah. It's, it's like people have no idea. They, they think it's Central America and it's third world. Like Panama City is not third world. Yeah. I mean, some of the buildings there are pretty crazy. I mean, this was obviously before his president, but Trump has like a massive casino and it, yeah. a beautiful building, massive. Yeah. Um, there, there's sky rises. Yeah. And, I mean, it's, it, it looks almost like Miami. It really feels that way to me. But, yeah. and of course, yeah, you got the Panama Canal and all of Which that. I never even saw. Can I, I never went to, <laughs> I never, time to go back. I never went to the, to the locks. I yeah. lived like a mile from the Miraflores yeah. locks. And, it's, that's how it works. Though, you know, right. But there's, there's kind of this traveler hangout. It's the, uh, I want to say it's a Balboa yacht club and you could watch the boats go so by. Good. So yeah, it's um, so good. I camped out there in that yeah, parking lot. Yeah. 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 Um, oh, that's awesome. So then, so you, you were in Panama, then you ended up in Arizona for a little while and then you moved internationally again. Where'd you go? That's when I moved to Australia. There's a pit stop in Pismo beach there. That's oh, when that's I met. right. I met Laura and, and Prescott and then she's a wildlife biologist and she was working at Pismo dunes. She, she's my dune driver. I love driving in the dunes, but you know, she day in, day out drove Pismo dunes. She, 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 she mastered it. She's yeah. got the master class um, in dune driving. Yeah. So when we moved to Australia and, you know, I eventually moved on from that, from that magazine, um, who I still write for, still have a great relationship with Pat Callanan down there. And, uh, you know, it was cool to be able to do the Simpson and just like throw her the keys and like, Oh yeah, this is the biggest dune. Here's big red. I want to get some photos, drive up it. Yeah. I wish you'd get, I wish you'd get stuck more, but, (laughs) um, that's awesome. So you were in Australia for a while. I lived, I lived in the blue mountains and made a lot of, you know, just really dear friends down there. Um, you know, people, people I still talk to. Yeah. Australia is a special place for me. I, I spent quite a bit of time there, obviously with, with, with my business and importing a few product lines from down there. And it's really still, it feels like a second home to me. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel foreign. And you were there for how long? Total? I was there for a little over a year. Yeah, that's uh-huh. all. And what, then I, sp- I spend about culture? a month or two a year there usually. Yeah. yeah. Um, sometimes less, sometimes more. And then you've all, one of your places I've asked you before when you're, what, what's your favorite place to travel? And you really love Asia. What's love Southeast Asia. What's um, some of the upsides of Asia for you? Yeah. O- Overlanding for me is different. And I don't think Overland has to be the same for everyone. Um, I, for, I mean, I had like zero money for the longest time and I still don't, still don't, but, um, I realized, okay, I didn't, I didn't have the money to buy a several thousand dollar roof tent or a, or an expensive vehicle or, or the thing. So I started going to Asia cause I could just fly in, rent a motorcycle or rent a scooter and have an amazing adventure in a culture that was mind blowing. Yeah. Like if you think, if you think Baja is a cultural experience, like try getting lost without cell service in Vietnam on a scooter. There's no way to communicate. I mean, like the alphabet's somewhat similar, but those are the experiences that I love. I love, I love the travel. I mean, we've, we've spent collectively probably a year traveling around, around Southeast Asia. I'm lucky to kind of scan manage flight points a lot. So we, you know, we, we go there quite a bit. Unfortunately, with, with COVID that's going to be, yeah, everything's on hold for a little little bit bit of a hold. So, um, but you know, that's life. Yeah. So, well, Matt, thanks so much for answering some questions and giving the listener a chance to learn a little bit more about who you are. We could spend a couple hours and of course, complex, yeah, yeah. complex, varying and, uh, juxtaposed. 
Yeah. And at only 30, I can't imagine what the next 30 years are going to do. You know, I'm excited about life. Um, I I think after this, this COVID thing is done, you know, I hope people kind of come together and I think that, you know, for travelers, once the vaccine's out and, and everybody's not paranoid about catching this thing. I I hope it brings people together. And and I intend as soon as we're able to travel, I'm going, I'm going to go drive around the world. I'm going to, I'm going to do something. And And you've got, you've got a land cruiser to do it. And for those that are listening, you can, you can find Matt, tell us your Instagram here. So I'm I'm Matt explore on Instagram. I sporadically post, I I occasionally find the app annoying, (laughs) Yeah, but it's push notifications that I hate. And then you run Adventure Imports. Here yeah, in, yeah. Um, run Adventure Imports. So we're the Max Tracks, MSA, and Indeflate distributors for the United States. And uh, of course, um, we're we're sharing that as information about Matt. We uh, Matt and I both have a very strong belief in identifying any conflicts of interest. So we yeah. we um, we will always disclose those in any of our any of our podcasts, but because it's about the reader or in this case, the the listener, listener. it's not about us. Well, we thank you all so much for listening and we thank you all so much for learning a little bit more about Matt. You can reach out to him on Instagram if you've got additional questions Yeah, and uh, we will talk to you all next time. Take care guys.